Okay, well, once again, this took much longer than planned. Please drop me a line at podcasts at iGuy.org to encourage me, rate this on iTunes, and tell others about the show. Welcome back to Talking About Glaucoma, the podcast of indeterminate frequency in which I talk with glaucoma colleagues about hot topics in our field. I still have three more episodes that I've recorded over the past two years that I promise to edit and post soon, and will be at the 2016 American Glaucoma Society meeting this week, where I'll find more great people to record, like I did last year when this episode was recorded. In this episode, I talked with Nelson Winkler, a medical student at that time, and Cheryl Canna, glaucoma attending at the Mayo Clinic, who analyzed the outcomes of their team-based model for glaucoma care. This physician-led model began in 2008 and has ophthalmologists working together with optometrists to deliver glaucoma care. With specific definitions for progression of the disease, patients are referred back to ophthalmology at critical points or every two years if stable. This model was born out of necessity as they have just two glaucoma subspecialists to care for a large patient population. It has allowed better allocation of resources so that physicians who really need to provide glaucoma subspecialty care are not overloaded with patients who are clearly stable. I'm Robert Schertzer, and my day job is a glaucoma surgeon at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center, where I'm on faculty at the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth in Hanover, New Hampshire, and we're talking about glaucoma. Uh, I'm welcoming to the show today Nelson Winkler and Cheryl Canna from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And you've done a very interesting study uh, looking at physician team-based model for treatment of glaucoma. And maybe you could walk us through that a little bit, uh, Nelson. Yes, absolutely. And thank you for having us here today. Um, so the Mayo Clinic in Rochester introduced a new uh, physician-led team-based care model for the treatment of glaucoma patients in 2008. And uh, some unique things about this care model is that uh, when the patients come in, they have an initial diagnosis of glaucoma made uh, by a glaucoma specialist who orders the initial testing and treatment. And uh, once the patient is stable, then they follow with optometry. And so it's really a collaboration with uh, glaucoma specialists and optometrists together for the care of these patients. And in this care model, the definition of disease progression has been standardized so that everybody's really working together. And if there is any progression of glaucoma, then the patients follow back with the glaucoma specialist for modification of their treatment plan. Uh, because of how this is set up, it really facilitates having the subspecialty care for the sickest of patients, and there's um, some uh, potential for a means of uh, conserving resources in the care of glaucoma patients as well. So th this is really different from the typical model right now, where it's almost random where a patient will go to. A lot of times it is the optometrist they go to first. Uh, yes, so absolutely. What led to what led to you coming up with this model? Uh, at Mayo Clinic, we um, had a large underserved population. Uh, we only have two glaucoma subspecialists. And so we really, it was an issue of we had a large volume of patients and we needed um, care of them. And so that was the reality that we were faced with. Um, 
you know, once a patient has a diagnosis of glaucoma, it's important to institute a very specific treatment plan and make sure they're on the correct track. And I think um, starting with a glaucoma subspecialist who has a lot of experience uh, in the field makes a lot of sense to to get the patient off on the on the right foot, if you will, make a specific diagnosis, have a specific treatment plan, and then we can um, work with our optometrist uh, optometry colleagues um, to help us. Um, uh, roll out that treatment plan to the patient population. Right, because sometimes we're facing a, a, a turf war, and that doesn't really put the patient's best interests at heart. I think that um, that's why I like this protocol so much, is that it takes a adversarial relationship at times, not always certainly, and really changes it to a collaborative one. And it, it really plays on all of our strengths, and, and we can work together for the benefit of the patient. And if uh, Nelson wants to continue here, if you could explain how you actually looked at, uh, at obtaining data to sort of justify for uh, this system and, and why it can work really well. Absolutely. Uh, so like she mentioned, it's really not my patient, your patient. It's our patient, everybody working together. Uh, so what we did is we looked at 600 patients with a new diagnosis of glaucoma. Uh, based on uh, ICD-9 billing codes. And uh, we, we separated these patients into 10 different subgroups based on the type of provider and then where the care was being given, either Mayo Clinic Rochester or a health system site. So th this part of the study was... Uh, retrospective? Or yes, okay. yes, retrospective. And so we're looking at the, uh, the testing that's done and really compliance with the American Academy of Ophthalmology preferred practice patterns for what care should be given at the time of initial diagnosis of glaucoma. And with our protocol, we saw that there was a dramatic increase in compliance with these preferred practice patterns uh, that, that really wasn't seen at the, the baseline site where there was no protocol or in the groups at, in Rochester that didn't have this protocol in place. And it was quite dramatic, uh, especially kind of comparing to previous studies that have been done in this area. Uh, we show that our, that our numbers are actually uh, quite significant, and we have higher adherence, actually, than these previously published studies. So what, what specific parameters uh, did you find really improved but with this model? Absolutely. So uh, one of the main things that should be done right at the beginning when a patient is diagnosed with glaucoma is establishing a goal pressure, a target IOP. Uh, and that's something that dramatically increased with the use of this protocol. Additionally, uh, gonioscopy saw a large increase, uh, as well as fundus photos and uh, obtaining an OCT at the time of diagnosis as well. And was that across the spectrum in, in terms of the providers? Uh, was it, it when you say there's more gonioscopy being performed and more target pressures being written down, was that both optometrists and, opth well, all three optometrists, ophthalmologists, and glaucoma subspecialists who are all uh, doing better in those parameters? Sure. It so it was it was specifically them? seen, the increase was seen uh, with those members who participated in the care model, right. uh, being optometrists and glaucoma specialists working together. We did not see these changes uh, in the groups that did not have this new care model implemented. Okay. So remember that initially the patient will see a glaucoma subspecialist, so the testing is very standardized. Um, and then the follow-up uh, testing is also standardized. I think one thing that's unique about this protocol also is that there's a group of us that work together, and so really there's almost um, extra training for 
all involved, uh, including the optometrists who have a special interest in following glaucoma patients. So I think that model works well to have the, uh, a consistent team who really has a vested interest in, in glaucoma care. So how would this play out in terms of the general population if you're working between other providers in the community? Do you see that the, a way to have this model work? You know, definitely. Um, so our hope is that uh, one by one we'll roll this system out to the uh, Mayo Clinic Health System sites because there was a dramatic increase in adherence to the preferred practice patterns. And I think the protocol will have to be modified because there's really not a glaucoma, sus uh, a glaucoma uh, subspecialist at all the different health sites. So we'll have to modify it for comprehensive ophthalmologists working with optometry, and we'll have to have um, part of the protocol that delineates when these patients should be sent back uh, to a subspecialist for care, right. for maybe surgical care. And is that something that's in the protocol right now? It's not. It's not because our just team... Every two years, if they're stable, they still come back every two years? Correct. For a subspecialist. Correct. But in the health system, um, when we roll this protocol out to um, smaller health system sites, we'll need to um, specify when the patient's sent back to a specialist, a subspecialist in glaucoma at Mayo Clinic Rochester, because many times there's not a glaucoma person in the field right. at the health system sites. Do you have any criteria in mind for what would trigger being sent back? Is it is well, it based on data from your study or based on preferred practice patterns? It's based on preferred practice patterns, but actually we have an algorithm in terms of um, our treatment uh, of glaucoma patients. And so once they reach a specific point, maybe if they're on two meds, you know, it will be time for an SLT, or if they're on three meds with poor response or evidence of progression, um, perhaps it's time for a surgical intervention. Um, maybe if the patient requires cataract extraction and they're a candidate for a MIGS procedure with cataract right. extraction, they might be sent back to a glaucoma subspecialist who may be more comfortable with that treatment. Great. Uh, one other question I had about the study itself, and you're you were looking over a time period. It was what two, two, two thousand eight to two thousand ten, um, and that was compared to two thousand five to two thousand seven. Yes. Or before you implemented the protocol. Yes. Now you wonder too if uh, everyone would be more compliant to the protocol because they know they're being studied in that two thousand eight to two thousand ten period. Uh, what's being done now to to make sure, I don't know, that this protocol is still in place and people are still following it now that they're no longer being being studied? They're actually still being studied. Oh, they are. Oh, um, and there are multiple arms to um, our research. So what we're presently doing is look at, looking at the cost effectiveness um, of this study. We're also looking at the effectiveness of different providers recognizing progression to make sure that we're not um, delaying diagnosis of progression. And then ultimately our goal is to look at rates of blindness um, and compare with and without the team care. So, but obviously for rates of blindness, we really need longer yeah, periods of decades, time. But, but at least we Right, could, but we're accumulating that data now. But at least over five years, you might expect to see uh, differences with visual field progression and other parameters like that and on, right. on imaging. So these are ongoing studies that are being done oh, uh, really with great. this protocol. Great. Any other comments either of you would like to make before we wrap up? 
Yeah, no, I, I just think that our uh, protocol is is um, we're hopeful that it standardizes care, that it creates um, a positive um, work environment for the providers, for the patient, um, for glaucoma care. We're we're very hopeful that it decreases rates of blindness because of the consistency of the care. Right. So thank and you. We'll really put patients first in in terms of their care. Right. Yeah. Thanks so much, Nelson and Cheryl. Thank Thank you. you. That's our show for today. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that when I do post a new episode, you'll automatically receive it on your device. The show can be found on iTunes, Pocket Cast, and other podcast players. Please provide feedback at podcast.iguy.org. That's I-G-U-Y. If you could please rate the show on iTunes, that will help improve the rankings so that others will find it. Remember that audio material can count for continuing professional development and can also inspire you to start a personal learning project to pursue the topics in greater detail. The show notes provide references that you can track down to further enhance your learning. If you are not using the enhanced version of the podcast that has the show notes, these are available at iGuy.tv podcast. Check out my blog on glaucoma, edtech, health IT, and technology, wholelotofrob.com or iGuy.tv slash blog. Follow me on Twitter at Rob Scherzer or iGuy.tv slash Twitter. And visit my website at westcoastglaucoma.com or iGuy.tv slash office, which is packed with iFacts, including animated videos explaining different surgical techniques. Remember to keep fighting glaucoma by early detection so that nobody loses vision from this disease. Until next time, I'm Rob Scherzer, and I've been talking about glaucoma.